um, I don't know if you've heard of this, but if you've heard of PTSD, uh, it's usually, you usually think about it in terms of uh, the military, come back from war, uh, but it's, descri- it, it, it's the definition of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is, uh, it, it's a mental health condition that's triggered by witnessing or experiencing a terrifying event. By witnessing or experiencing a terrifying event, and people have PTSD. There's usually uh, there's there's some triggers. Uh, the triggers are usually flashbacks, uh, nightmares, severe anxiety. Uh, there could be uncontrollable thoughts about the event. And um, I was thinking about PTSD, and I said, "Man, what do I have PTSD about?" And uh, I have it about UK football. Um, I've witnessed and experienced many terrifying spectacles when it comes to UK football. Um, I remember college, 2002, uh, I was in the corner uh, of the stadium, lower level, and uh, we were up, and uh, with just a couple seconds left, a 75-yard bomb was thrown called the Bluegrass Miracle. We lost uh, to LSU. Uh, The year after that, 2003, there was a seven-overtime game to Arkansas that we lost, 70-63. to There was, just two years ago, there was a loss to Florida with the game clock. Remember the game clock? We were about ready to, uh, there was a 28-game streak where they beat us 28 years in a row. Now it's 30 because they couldn't manage the clock. We lost to Florida. Uh, This past year, Southern Miss up 35-10 with just moments left in the first half. And we end up losing that game. So these are comical. It's traumatic. But what's not comical and still traumatic are some of your experiences and some of my experiences with the church. I routinely hear stories about people's experiences with the church that have left them in states of trauma. Some of them are mild. Some of them are acute. The mild ones are are neglect, uh, unintended emotional manipulation. It could be poor poor teaching, even though it's sincere. These are mild. But there's some more acute ones. And just, I was just thinking back, since the beginning of this year, 2017, I've heard a, a story of, of a church leader physically abusing one of their parishioners. I've, these, are, these are in-person stories. This isn't on a news feed. I don't go to some weird website. These are, all, these are all from real people that live here. So there's this physical abuse. I heard of someone who was sexually abused by a church leader. I've heard... Um, I heard of someone uh, recently of a pastor stealing money. I heard a story of there was a small group of people within a church who, who went, went about politicking and had the pastor fired. So it's not PTSD, but I think it's PTCD, post-traumatic church disorder. And we all have it. If you've been in church any length of time, you've got either these mild stories or you've got these acute stories. You have PTCD. So how do we prevent from being hurt again? What, she, what should we go about doing? Should we give up on the church and hold on to Jesus? Should we give up on the church and Jesus? But is it possible that we can hold on to Jesus and the church? That's my hope. My hope for all of us is that even with our PTCD in tow, we can move forward with our eyes open and trust Jesus to use his church in our lives but what does that look like? What does it look like for the church to be used in our lives? Well, I, I know for millennials, and I'm, I'm on the very kind of front end of this generational phenomenon, we, we don't trust institutions. 
especially the church, and many of us have understandable reasons for doing so. But that doesn't mean we have to give up on institutions altogether. We really can redeem the authority that institutions provide. And that's what our, that's what our passage is about today. That's what today is about with ordaining officers. And we looked at the scriptures, you'll see. The Bible's not silent on how to structure the institution of a church. In every period of Old Testament history, we see prophets and we see priests and we see kings that have been raised up by God to lead his people. Then you see Jesus, and he leads his people. And Jesus, he appoints apostles, people who were eyewitnesses to his resurrection to lead the early church. And the apostles, they didn't raise up more apostles, but they handed the church over to elders and to deacons. And that's what's been taking place for over 2,000 years, is that God has been leading his church through elders and deacons. So our text today is from 1 Peter. Now, we are skipping a bunch. We should be on 3.13. Uh, so we're skipping kind of a chapter and a half. Um, we're coming back. Next week we'll be in verse 13 of chapter 3. Uh, but we're going to skip over to 1 Peter 5, 1-5. And so if you've been with us for this series on 1 Peter, you'll know that God's people are in exile. They're not at home. They're a minority people, and because of this, they face some really major challenges. And apparently, what exiles need is the institution of the church. And that why he, that's why he includes it here in 1 Peter. So let's read it together. 1 Peter 5, 1-5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The word of the Lord. So I have two, I have two points today. Uh, the, the charge to shepherds and the charge to sheep. The charge to shepherds and the charge to sheep. We see the charge to shepherds in verses 2 through 4. And we see the charge to sheep in verse 5. And this metaphor of shepherd and sheep is a common one in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, we see that Abraham and Moses and David and then the prophet Amos, they're all shepherds. The most famous psalm, Psalm 23, is about the Lord who is our shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And if you remember, way back in September, Robert preached a sermon about, from John 21 about Jesus interacting with Peter. And Jesus calls Peter to feed my sheep. And when Jesus said, feed my sheep, I think this, this, this image has been imprinted in his mind to, to the extent that it just overflows from him in this section about elders, 1 Peter 5. The thing I want you to notice is not just the charge to shepherds and the charge to sheep, but I want you to notice how much more material is in our passage that's addressing the shepherd and how much is to the sheep. I think this is really significant. I think it's easy for leaders in the church to say, Hey, just submit. Just do what we say. <laughs> but really, the bulk of material that we find here tonight is that the responsibility lies with the shepherds. If, you, if we, you and I had good experiences with shepherds, we wouldn't have so many cases of PTCD. 
But because we've had bad encounters with church leadership, PTCD runs rampant. Our churches would be healthier if shepherds would take their job seriously. So the charge to shepherds. Uh, Peter is exhorting uh, the shepherds to do something he's been doing all along. Look at verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So what Peter's doing is he's coming alongside these elders in, in, in the church in their dispersion. He could have done so by pulling his apostle card and say, hey, I'm Peter. I'm the rock on which the church stands. <laughs> you got to listen to me. But he doesn't play the apostle card. Instead, he comes alongside as a fellow elder. And he tells them in the rest of that verse what it's like to be a church officer, what it's like to be a Christian leader. He says it's one of suffering. And then the last part of verse 1, it's one of glory. Think about Jesus' life. He had really high highs and really low lows. And that's what it's like to be a leader in the church, too. In some ways, you kind of get a backstage look. You get a behind-the-scenes look at what God is doing in the lives of people. And that's glorious. But you also get to see the depths of darkness in the human heart. You also get to see the craftiness of the devil. And that's hard. You begin to see things in a way that you wouldn't otherwise because of the responsibility of being a leader in the church. So elders, deacons, new guys, are you ready for that? What's hard about being a church officer is not the duties that you put in your calendar. Now, the weenies can be really boring. That can be hard. Um, But what's hard isn't what you put in your calendar. What's hard is you begin to see the hardness in your own heart. You begin to see the hardness in other people's hearts. And you see in a way that you didn't before you were an officer. Carrying the burdens of the flock is hard. And the leaders that Peter addresses here specifically are elders, aren't they? You see that? And the Greek word for elder is presbyter. I know you're thinking, uh, that sounds like Presbyterian. Exactly. Uh, That's where we get the name. And to be Presbyterian means that the governing power is held with elders. The elders represent and are nominated by the church, not the elders. You guys were the ones who nominated these people. Not Not me, not other elders. Then they're trained by the pastors, they're examined by the elders, and then they're, again, put back in your lap. And this is what we did last week. They're elected by you. This is our process. And then we see what their role is. You see it right there? Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. And what we'll see is you you would think that he's going to begin to give them a job description, but he doesn't do that. He begins to tell them what their character is supposed to be like. That's the important thing for elders. If you look at 1 Timothy 3, you look at Titus 1, what's included in, in, in the talk about elders and deacons isn't so much what they do, but the kind of people that they, the kind of Christians that they're supposed to become. And that's what we see here. There's really three things. And what he does is Peter uses these opposing sets of adjectives and paints a picture of the character of a biblical elder. The first one, look at it. Uh, the first one says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So the first thing that they're supposed to, the first kind of disposition they're supposed to have is they're supposed to do so voluntarily. And this is really important. Uh, It's possible that that one could be qualified for office because of one's godliness and one's ability to lead, but the leader simply is not willing. And that's not a bad thing. 
they're not supposed to do so under compulsion. And so when you nominated these people for office, you had to ask them if they were willing to be nominated. Why? Because of this verse. <laughs> and as the whole time they're being trained, we're asking them, is this something you're willing to do? We want to know if they're willing because it's voluntary. Now, we certainly need you. We only had one ruling elder when we started, and he moved to Columbus. <laughs> but we don't want you, we don't want people to serve in church office. We don't want elders simply because we need them. We want them to do it because it's voluntary. Uh, recently, I was asked uh, by a neighbor, probably my favorite neighbor, I won't give the name. Uh, I, don't, I mean, I don't, think he li- I don't think he'd ever listen to my sermons, but um, I really like him. And um, he, he, he's a part of our neighborhood association. And uh, he said, hey, man, I, I'd love for you to start coming. And, uh, and there, there's plenty of spots that need to be filled on the board. And, uh, I, and honestly, maybe my neighborhood's my thing. I love where we live, and I love our neighbor. Or I love our neighbors. But it's just not in the cards. I just got too much going on. I hope I can someday. I'd like to carve out time to do it. But it's just not now. And for leaders, we're presented with these kind of opportunities all the time. But many of us, we simply lack the ability to say no. Leaders are always being asked to do things. But the prudent leader knows how to say no. So officers, new officers, this is and will continue to be paramount in your service to us. You have to know when to say no. It's got to be voluntary. The second thing, it's got to be enthusiastic. Do you see it? This is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, this shameful gain does have some monetary tones, but it's much more than that. You can have shameful gain, and you just want, you, you just want the, the, the reputation that's involved. You just want the status significance that's involved with the position But this qualification for enthusiasm, it really does take the first one a step further, doesn't it? One could be willing, but they have to take the next step and be enthusiastic about these responsibilities. Peter says that elders are to be eager. And I think this causes us to pause. You, you might say, well, sure, these people are eager for it. They could be eager for it because of what's involved, the status and the recognition. But the scriptures are going really far here. Because in, in 1 Timothy 3.1, it says that if one desires to be an elder, if one desires for church office, it is a noble thing. A noble thing. So Peter's not shaming their desire. What he's doing is that he's lifting it up and making sure that it's rightly directed. Another word for noble could be beautiful. It could be good. So the office itself, not the money, not the recognition, not the status, is what should motivate us for this kind of service in the church. So you've got to be voluntary, has to be enthusiastic, and then lastly, look at the last one. It's got to be exemplary. It says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. One could be voluntary. They could then be eager and still get it very wrong. This last piece about being in a, having an exemplary life, th- this is what makes being a leader so hard. Because to set an example means that these officers are replicas of the image of Christ. These officers are patterns 
for godliness. But see, if, if you could, those who domineer depend on their position. But those who lead by example, they lead with their life. So future officers, your lives are to be more eloquent than your words. Church officers, we're looking to you on how to interact with our spouses. We're looking to you to know what it means to have a heart for our city. We're looking to you on what it means, on how, what it looks like to spend our money. We're looking to you on how to practice the spiritual disciplines. We're looking to you on to know what it looks like to submit to human authorities. We're looking to your lies. They're to be exemplary. You know, we begin to think about um, you know, this image of being a player coach. And um, I looked it up, and uh, the last player coach in the NBA uh, was, a, was a man named Dave Cowens. Uh, Cowens is uh, from Newport. Uh, he's probably, I mean, people could argue this, and it's fine, but he, he could be um, the, the most famous and most decorated basketball player from this, that, was, that grew up in the state of Kentucky. And he had this position of player coach for the 1978 and 79 season. And he was asked uh, if it was a good idea to be a player coach, and he said, don't do it. <laughs> you need the separation between player and coach. That's the rub, isn't it? Really clean lines between player and coach make leadership easy. It's easy to just power up and be domineering. It's easy to relinquish our roles of authority. And sometimes we just vacillate between the two. We're domineering, and then we're passive. But, but officers, we must not be this way. We must, as officers, we must be accessible. We can't be so caught up in our own lives and our own duties as officers that no one can see us for who we really are. We're to be examples. But why would anyone want to do this? <laughs> why would anyone want to be a church officer? It's really hard. It's unpaid. It's time-consuming. And it's exposing. Well, look at verse 4. Verse 4 gives us our incentive. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So you just, do you see what awaits those of us who shepherd voluntarily? Do you see what awaits those of us who shepherd eagerly and enthusiastically and in, in an exemplary fashion? This is what helps us hang on when times get tough. Is the unfading crown of glory that awaits us. But implicit in verse 4 is a check for those of us who call ourselves shepherds. Do you see what it is? Is that there's a chief shepherd. There's one to whom we report. There's one to whom we must submit to. There's one who we must learn from. Think about Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is a shepherd who leads his sheep along still waters. And the Lord also leads the sheep through the darkness of the valley of death. So shepherds, we've got to walk with the flock, with the sheep, through times of peace and times of turmoil. We must learn from him. He's the chief shepherd. John 10 says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. 
What does that mean for us? We've got to be committed to knowing your name. We've got to be committed to being, we've got to be so committed to you that you're comfortable with our leadership. Because the sheep are comfortable with the shepherd. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock in his arm. He will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Do you see how gentle this shepherd is? We must learn from him. We must learn to lead with gentleness and with strength. This is the charge of shepherds. We're to live exemplary lives. We're to be enthusiastic about our role. We must do so voluntarily. That's the charge to you, new officers. Then there's the charge of the flock, verse 5. So the onus is by far on the officers to function in in this way that Peter envisions, but he doesn't completely leave the sheep off the hook, does he? He says, likewise, those who are younger be subject to the elders. Now, those who are younger uh, are, are called to be subject to the elders, but who are the younger? Are they just people who are younger than the elders? Is that what this means? It, it, it isn't, because younger is contrasted to the presbyters, to the elders. The younger refers simply to those who aren't elders. And their task is to be subject to the elders. And you guys know if you've been with us what, what he's been talking about with submission, to be subject In 2.13 of of the book, we're to be subject to every civil authority. In in 2.18, Christian slaves are to be subject to their masters. 3.1, wives are subject to their husbands. So submission is not a dirty word here for, for Peter. It's one that he uses often. And submission to church authority is just as essential as the godly leadership of church officers. It's the only way this thing's going to work. And finally, the last part of verse 5, it, it, it ends with a line about humility. You see that? So in Peter's view, there's just no room for pride. Not for the younger, not for the non-officers, nor is there room for pride for the elder. Why? Because we know we're saved by grace. And we know that we did not save ourselves. And church officers must realize that their authority is not original to them. It was given to them, not because of the superiority of their talents. The authority was given them by God. So greed and compulsion and domineering, they cannot find a home with us as officers. Humility reigns in our hearts as we lead. Now, now to the other side of the equation, the non-officers, there's no room for pride for non-officers either. Why? Because we have, to, we have to be humble enough to realize that we would rather, we have to be honest and say, well, I would rather rule my own life. I'd rather not be subject to officers. But our lack of submission doesn't have anything to do, usually, with the lack of quality in those who lead us. Our lack of submission, according to Peter, has much more to do with our lack of humility. So what does this look like? What does it look like to be subject to the shepherds? Well, usually when we think about this, we think about defensive submission. It's when someone comes to you and confronts you with the nature of your life. (laughs) But what would it look like to have offensive submission? 
instead of waiting for someone to confront us, what would it look like to go to a shepherd and say, hey, I need, I'm giving you the green light in my life. Call it the way that you see it. Lead me in the way of everlasting. <laughs> I need your help. That's offensive submission. And that's humility. But if humility is what non-officers need, and humility is what officers need, where are we going to get that? Well, I think we find it in the gospel. The gospel gives us all the resources that we need. Think about the chief shepherd. As chief shepherd, he humiliated himself way beyond being a mere shepherd and way beyond even being a sheep. He kicks it even further in being a sheep who was slaughtered. This humility of the chief shepherd, even unto death, is what qualifies and gets us in the door of the church. And what helps us thrive in it is the humility that got us in the door. See, Jesus was the ultimate elder. He volunteered to die for you. And he did it with eagerness, not with selfish gain. He leads us by example and not in a domineering matter. And he does so for your good, your benefit, and your gain. So when we see Jesus as this kind of leader in our lives, it's going to free us. It's going to free us to submit to officers. Because we know, even if they fail us, that Jesus is still our chief shepherd. And officers, you're going to need to see Jesus as this kind of leader too. Because it's going to allow you to take risks in your leadership. Because this chief shepherd is the power that animates your leadership. But it's also going to allow you to be gentle and listening kind of leaders instead of power-hungry leaders because Jesus himself led us through service. So offers, will you lead humbly? Church, do you have humility to admit that life doesn't go well when you're self-led? If we all do our part, what's going to happen is that the, church will, the city will find its way into the doors of our church and they'll find a place of rest and order and love and not a place of trauma. That's what our city needs. Our city needs a church whose officers lead humbly and whose church members submit gladly. Let's pray. Father, this, we, we, um, we look to you the shepherds, the shepherd of our soul. And we need you to lead us. Or sometimes we question, <laughs> if we were you, uh, we wouldn't have put human authorities in, in place. But Lord, that's what you did. And so Lord, I, I pray that those of us who lead would do so with humility. And those of us, all of us who follow, that we would submit gladly. Do this for your glory, we ask. Amen.